Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and uh, welcome to a very special episode of Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest today. Can you guess who that guest is, children? It's Peter Hart. (laughs) I'm honoured to be your guest, Gary. (laughs) Now, the reason for this, Pete, is that uh, you once more have uh, have a book being published and it's uh, this book burning steel and it's by that uh, uh, fellow peter hart i think he writes about skateboarding and stuff doesn't he normally and it's uh, a tank regiment at war 1939 1945 it's published by profile and it's out on the 12th of may Um, now one of the most noticeable things pete is the color it is what a color it is i've never seen that color before it is. It's certainly striking, and you, and you, it stands out on the bookshelf. It certainly does. So, um, just you know, I suppose I, I suppose I should start with why you wrote the book. Why? Why I wrote the book? <laughs> uh, how I wrote the book? <laughs> why yeah. I keep on writing the book? Yeah. And why can't you stop writing, Gary? That's very hurtful. Um, uh, I, uh, why did I write the book? Well, it's because, um, as you know, my job at the Imperial War Museum was all history interviewing, and we'd done a, a projects on various things, and uh, um, it, it just it just struck me that we needed to do something on armoured regiments, and uh, the, they were the regiment that that that, that we chose. Uh, we chose them for two reasons. One. Uh, they had a very active uh, regimental association. They'd fought in a number of different tanks, uh, and they had, a, funny enough, a south-of-the-border group, which meant, as I was in England, <laughs> they were in Scotland, most of them, it was very useful to have a lot of contacts for, for all the English veterans that had fought for them, because there, there, there was at least a third were English. Now, when we were young, uh, I'm sure you'll, you've noticed as well, there were veterans all around us, weren't there? Oh, everywhere. I mean, my dad wasn't much of a veteran in the sense that he was only in the last month of the war in the Navy, but he was still there. It's more than I've ever done. Uh, they, were, they were everyone you met, weren't they? So if you, if you looked around, uh, um, 
your uncles, nearly all my uncles were in the army. Uh, I'm not sure they were any good at it, but they were in the army doing their bits. But when, whenever you went out, you must have noticed, Gary, when you went, to, when you went out down the streets in the, in the 60s and 70s, the, everyone was in. Yeah, but largely we didn't take much notice of them, did we, Pete? I mean, they certainly didn't seem to talk about their experiences, or did they? Well, they were every man. They were there. They were all around us. And I suppose a lot of them didn't. And we, there's the other thing which we've talked about before, which is Uncle Albert syndrome from that comedy, Only Fools and Horses. Where about every time he started telling one of his stories, they'd go, ah, oh, leave it, ah, Uncle Albert, that kind of thing. Oh, they were Welsh. Yeah, <laughs> didn't you know they were? Uh, the, the thing was that they didn't talk in front of their families much because the families weren't interested. And they, they didn't talk. So what they did was that, but they did talk a lot in the, with their friends. So down the pub or, or when they met, because the friendship groups, and of course uh, the British Legion and the regimental associations. And then they did talk about it, and they talked to me about it because they knew I was just. Uh, working for the War Museum, and it was the way of, of making sure that not only their memories, but their memories of the people who didn't make it. That was always incredibly important to them. The men who didn't come back, the men who gave up their whole lives uh, for their country. Uh, and uh, that was very important to them. And, and by being interviewed, they could talk about them and they could remember what, what happened to them. Yes, because we, we've got to remember this was a really serious matter, wasn't it? It was a fight against Nazism, real Nazism. Yeah, I take that very seriously and always have done. That uh, I mean, it, it is an evil regime that had to be stopped. Uh, I'm not sure many of the men wanted to or thought of themselves as crusaders, but it was their sort of duty and uh, they rose to the challenge. I think uh, I... I, I that, the point I always make is that they they did that, and, and people like me and you didn't. I know you were in the army, but there's no Nazi regime to fight at the time, although the communist regime was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's get back to the book for a moment. So what was the role of the uh, Imperial War Museum and, and the genesis of this project, and, and whose idea was it, Pete? Well, uh, the, the, the War Museum had started oral history in the 70s uh, under a man called David Lance, and th that, that was their thing. When I arrived in, in 81, I wanted to sort of do the First World War because they hadn't got enough on it. Uh, and I tried to do a regiment because I, I thought if you get everybody together, uh, interview them all separately, but, you know, the interviews together, then you'd have a picture, a full picture of what's going on. Uh, I always use the same example. One hand, you can see through the gappies. Uh, two hands, you can't see much. And if you've got 40 or 50 people talking, you, you get a complete picture with all the outriders, uh, uh, so the, the people who don't think what everybody else thinks, who are often wrong, by the way. <laughs> and, and you get a sort of consensus in the middle, and it's quite interesting. Sometimes they're right. And um, uh, so, But we couldn't do that with the Great War, so we started on the Second World War. Those guys were just in the 60s then. They weren't that old. It was because this is in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, we started with the Durham Light Infantry, fine body of men, I know you want to say, um, uh, from Durham. <laughs> Had you known at that time that uh, all those years later you'd be doing impressions on a podcast, you might have actually picked some areas where you could actually do the accent, Pete. Well, South Dutch as ours, I defend our, uh, <coughs> our Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire accents to the limit because that was the artillery unit we chose. And the tank unit, it was it was just serendipity that we landed on the second Fife and Four Fire. Four Fur. Four Fur. 
Yeah. We've been corrected, haven't we? We have been corrected several times. We've been corrected about almost everything. Uh, have you learned how to say bratty fear? <laughs> no, so, so why... Why five and four, far Pete? I mean, it's it, it, you must have been away from home a lot. You must have missed your loved ones, your lovely Polly. You know, travelling all that way away from the people you loved. You know damn well that uh, <laughs> that my my wife's parents were in Edinburgh when we had our first and second child. That she went down there uh, for uh, three or four months, and although I was commuting back to London, I did I did live in Scotland quite a long time. And I am, of course, part Scottish. Yeah. Well, I, I understand the Scots deny, deny and, and refute this. <laughs> so when you when you did the Durham, so when you did the Durham Light Infantry, you'd probably visited Durham or something. No, Durham's easy to get to. It's uh, it's right. two and a half hours, three hours on the train. Um, this this was more a thing of. Uh, uh, um, so I would go, I was living in Edinburgh uh, for most of the time and going backwards and forwards to the various areas in Fife and Forfa. Uh, now, you've alluded to the fact that actually they weren't all from uh, that area at all, were they? No, they weren't because uh, they came all over Fife and Forfa. Uh, but as the war went on and, and in accordance with the principle of the army, which after the Powell's battalions in the First World War, they didn't. They 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 recruited widely across the country and then and, and then sent them to various places. So a lot of them were English. And the south of the border group was set up by a man called Jeff Hayward, uh, who is still alive, amazingly, uh, and uh, is mentioned in the book. In fact, there's a picture of him in the book. Uh, he's a lovely man, and he go, he did a lot for the regiment. And so he had a list of about oh, over a hundred. And and we did about twenty five. About half of the interviews we did were with English people, um, because it was easier. Uh, and and the the, the 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 I found the melding of the English and the Scottish. It worked very well. They all refer to the banter. Uh, they also refer to the odd moment of tension. Uh, but the biggest tension was the porridge. Uh, you have porridge for breakfast. Oh, whether it they? should have salt, I presume, or sugar. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Um, I, I just think you shouldn't have porridge. But <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned it briefly, that, but this project it followed on from uh, the artillery project on the South Knots Hussars. So that was the hundred and seventh Regiment Royal Artillery, and that and that became your book at close range, an artillery regiment at war, nineteen thirty nine forty five. So. Is it the same sort of mythology? Are, are they very similar books? Well, they basically t- they, they try and tell the story of the regiment using as a main source the oral history, uh, um, and and so so yes, they are basically. I listen to all the interviews and I get the quotes and then use them in the war diaries and other sources and uh, occasional documentary uh, records and and the odd book the South uh, the South North Society was a very couple of good books and together you blend it together to to, to create the book. Uh, you might have noticed I don't play an enormous role in this uh, and and in some ways the book is a collection of veterans' memories um, and that's what the book is. And, and I value that, to be honest. Uh, um, that's what's important to me, is the veterans. Uh, not in a sort of sanctimonious, sentimental manner, but just because that, that that's what it's all about. It's just, I mean, if you're doing a, a, a book of veterans' memories, then surely that's what it's about. And what was it like actually interviewing the veterans in their own homes? Well, we tried to do that, because if they have to travel, they get tired. Uh, and, um, and so we always tried to do 
uh, veterans in their homes. Uh, and yeah, it was, it, they were so welcoming. They were so nice. And, and there's the usual courtesies of modern life. You know, they make you a cup of tea or coffee, whatever. Uh, and then you look at their garden and, you know, me and gardens are, <laughs> I don't even know whether I've got one. I believe Polly looks after ours. Um, but, but, and, and I, 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 you know, you sit down on the furniture and you have a chat with them. And they weren't that old, when, of course. They were in their late 60s, 70s, most of them when I saw them. Uh, and that's, I'm in my late 60s now. So they, 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 they were perfectly hale and hearty. When I did the first World War veterans, they were in their late 90s, some of them. And, that was uh, that was uh, a more, a more, more testing, uh, but they were lovely. They were so welcoming, so welcoming. And how would you describe the results? You know, for one thing that that strikes me is what what scale are we talking about for the collection at the Imperial War Museum? Uh, for the for the uh, five four funds, uh, about fifty. I'm, I'm never good at statistics. You know this. Right? <laughs> Cunning question, and uh, you know, there's two fifty three three hundred hours. There's hundreds of hours of, of recordings. Um, I mean, remember that we, if someone was in the five four five and then went on to do something else, we would follow them through because, of course, the war museum doesn't care whether they're five and four four or not. So, uh, not all of that those hours are on the fives, the five and four four, but <clears throat> a lot of it is, and um, it's the incredible detail. I mean, you've uh, we've been doing some podcasts on the uh, five and four for you, and, and the detail in some of the interviews, uh, whether it be about personal relationships or just about what you do in a tank and how you drive it, how you all the little. I, I remember that uh, we both laughed at the bloke who recently was telling us uh, how you fired the gun and how there was a gun, to, a button to fire the main gun, and, and a, a machine button, gun, yeah, button to fire the machine gun. And if you had big feet, you could close yourself and the rest of the people around you a bit of a surprise if you pressed the wrong one and i just think that's the sort of, that's what oral history is good for there where did they sleep at night the latrines all this stuff and then of course there's the odd awful story that comes out like the latrine the bloke goes off for a he goes off for a crap doesn't he and he goes in a wheat field out of the way and finds a gap in it in the middle as a german with his jugular cut uh, and he's been running around and created almost a crop circle Trying to trying to bind it up with a newspaper, and, and he just died. And by then he was rotting. And he makes reference to the the, the pink colour, which is obviously from his his blood staining. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and so you get you get mixed up with the sort of mundane details. You get these horrendous stories, and and some of the stories about you know with tanks uh, um, it can be quite yeah. Grim. We'll come on to that, but just yeah. in case some people haven't perhaps. Uh, caught up with the uh, the story on the podcast. Can you can you just outline the story of the second five and four file yeomanry and why you didn't pick a tank regiment that's easier to pronounce? Yeah, uh, uh, the third tank regiment would have been ideal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so they 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 basically they formed in five and four for uh, around the the the, the towns. So there'd be a squad in each town. The, the regiment had doubled and tripled in size. Uh, in the immediate lead up to the war, they were training all round uh, Scotland and England they, they, and Ireland. They actually go to Ireland. They get a variety of tanks. That they start off in the Mark VI, which is sort of a reconnaissance tank, and looks like something from the First War. It looks quite like the French Renault, doesn't it? Um, it does, yeah. And it was much uh, smaller than I imagined as well. Yeah, especially especially in that model, someone sent us a picture of. Yes, that was definitely small. Uh, I'm not sure you'd have got in that, Gary. And then uh, the, 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 so they're training there, and they eventually get the Shermans, 
and a, 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 it's an incredibly long time because various changes in uh, British uh, armoured divisions. They don't go to war until after D-Day, and they go across in 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 late in mid June, uh, and they're involved in a series of battles. Uh, the Battle of, of Epsom, uh, which culminates in being on Hill 112, which we've both been to. And then that's followed up a month later with Operation Goodwood, which is a horrendous massacre. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, and they re- each time they're rebuilt, it's amazing. The British Army, they just more tanks, new tanks, new crews arrive. And then they move on from there to, uh, to, uh, to being in Operation Blue Coat, which is a fairly successful uh, operation on the left flank of the American, the big American advance. And then from then on, I, I, I you know, I, I don't, it, it becomes just a, another day at the office. Uh, they're involved in the adva- a huge, a rapid advance through France. Um, they get to Antwerp, uh, the, the, and then later on, they're at the Ardennes battle peripherally, but they're there as some of the reinforcements sent to help the Americans. Uh, and then, and the final denouement is the advance through Germany, uh, and culminating in the success. Like all, um, regimental histories it ends with sort of an anticlimax in the very sense that of course the men just go home so i've tried to say a bit about what happened to the men when they got home picked on some of the characters just to say how they got back into civilian life and how it affected them how they were affected by their experiences I, i'm i'm very proud of it but as i say my the, the pride basically is that i'm involved in it lucky enough to be involved in it not about it's not all about me <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
But um, one of the things I found surprising about the book is they, they sort of have a phony war period. You made reference to them going to Ireland, for example, to defend the English coast. Um, so, so they had this... Not sure geography was high command strong <laughs> uh, So they had this period. <clears throat> and what surprised me is that that's as interesting as the action in the book, as it were, because you get to know the characters. And there are some real characters in this book, aren't there? There are. And, uh, uh, yes, and that I think it's important to get to know them before you see them in battle. You can see them in their sort of normal lives. And, I mean, being in the army is not particularly normal, but it, it they get a chance to meet them and we, we get to know people. I'll perhaps come back to, to some of them later, but we get to know them. Uh, uh, Steele, Brownie, Charlie Workman, people like this, some of the officers, Jeff Hayward I mentioned earlier. And we get to, to meet all these, these people before the fighting, the shooting starts. Because if you don't know them before they react to that, then you don't really know them. And I think it's important to get both sides. Also, just to get through how important, tra- going to the military thing, how important training is. You're not, an, you're not a trained soldier unless you're a trained soldier. You have to be trained so that you react by instinct and you can put up with things that normal civilians can't dream of putting up with because it's just too hard uh, or too dangerous. And yes, you need so- training. And I'd just like to mention one of my personal favourites is um, a man called Gordon Fiddler, who's a, an interesting character, Peter, isn't he? He is. I like Gordon Fiddler. You like him because of the name, most of all. He's, uh, one of his relatives is in touch with us and has been about the book. And, and I just like that. Uh, but but uh, Gordon Fiddler, we follow him right the way through, uh, and it's great. You, you'll follow him. If you don't want to buy the book, you'll hear about him in the podcast as well because he's cropping up regularly, isn't he? Although, buy the book, of course, and, and you get a, a bit more detail. So, I'm, why I'm so popular with my publisher. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. <laughs> you mentioned William Steele Brownlee. Is that where the, the uh, title of the book comes from, or is there another reference to Burning Steel? There's uh, references to Burning Steel. This is the battle scenes. And there's a, an interview that says, uh, uh, a man who says, you, you can't believe that a tanker, that steel will burn, that a tank will burn. But they do. They just go up like, like Ronson's, like first time. There's a variety of reasons. The, uh, the, the, the petrol, of course, or diesel, whatever it is. Remember, what an expert I am. Uh, but the main cause is the ammunition is, uh, the, 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 the German shells can penetrate. The turret, and once they get in there, there's ammunition around there, and they just go woof. I mean, sometimes they don't. You've got you've got a minute or two to get out, but sometimes they just go woof. And some of the the uh, the interviews are, are painful to listen to. They're painful to read about as well. Uh, people are caught in the tank, and you know they they lose. There's one uh, Chris Nichols uh, who loses his legs and falls back in the tank. And is burnt to death. Uh, uh, Charlie Workman, uh, uh, one of the officers, saw that happening. It, it left an, a lifetime of scarring. Uh, he also was a bloke who, he, one of his tank crew was burnt and is lying on the floor, looking like basically a sack of I don't know what, and and just saying, "Shoot me, sir." I mean, he didn't. He just died. But there's there's some very upsetting material in it. Um, uh, and every, you know, the burnt corpses and just the sheer horror of it people losing their nerve people keeping their nerve it's it's all there and yet despite all this there's still something that you and you and I would appreciate that what what is the the one thing you might not be expecting in all that horror well i assume you're making reference to how they cope with it with um, 
some humour sometimes, which is very dark. Yeah, and and that is quite important, and that comes out at times in the, in the book as well. And uh, one of my favourites, a lighter story, is uh, they're in a they're, they're having to evacuate the tank and uh, in a hurry, and uh, they know the officer's got a bottle of whiskey in there, and one of, one of them tries to get it, you know, leaps back into the tank, which is to get the whiskey. That that sort of thing cheers you up a bit amidst some of the misery. Uh, yeah. Now they're largely. Uh, featuring the Sherman tank, which they must have been really pleased to get because that was practically impregnable, wasn't it? And that's what they thought when they got it. But, it, 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 of course, it wasn't. Uh, it was easily penetrable. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the gun was 75mm, excellent for firing high explosive, didn't really have enough muzzle velocity to fire uh, uh, armour piercing. Although there were variants, weren't there? There were variants. The uh, Firefly, you're thinking, yeah. thinking of. That's got a seventeen pounder, but they only had one per troop, if that, and uh, and that was called forward. Most of the Shermans couldn't really deal with uh, the Panther or the Tiger, <laughs> and things are confused by the fact that every Mark IV was a Tiger to most of the lads. <laughs> yeah. But do you blame them for not identifying a tank in the, the all the battle smoke and 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 just well, they'll it, get a glimpse of it, won't they? Yeah. That's it, and 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 of course it's a target. It's just what they call them, and uh, so um, the Sherman wasn't really up to the job, but there were a lot of them, and this is the thing in war. What are we going to do? Not uh, wait for a better tank, or or a better tank does arrive. They're in the comets from December, uh, from January uh, nineteen forty-five. The last five months of the war, they're in comets, which is a much better British tank. Uh, that's not a criticism of the American nature of the Sherman. The, the, the Sherman had many qualities. Uh, there were lots of them. Uh, the gun was okay. They could deal with a Mark IV German. Uh, it just took three or four of them to deal with a Panther, and and uh, you called for the RAF and the Typhoons if you get Tigers. Um, so yeah, the the, the Sherman. It's 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 a controversial tank. Uh, it's very high as well, so it's very difficult to hide it. Um, it but the main thing is it, it just caught fire. Uh, that's the the thing that people came to to associate it with it. But as a weapon of war, it did its job in the sense of it. Uh, the Eleventh Armored Division, which had a lot of them, was, was a powerful unit and it had a big impact on the war. Um, so it's one of those terrible things. Uh, that's what you've got. That's what you'll have to have, lads. And in such numbers that, unlike the Germans, um, the losses could be pretty quickly replaced i assume yeah they replaced them uh, normally at the end of the same day uh, amazing uh the the, the and they also they rescued a lot of the ones and knocked out and and uh, uh repaired them just very efficient yep yep now having interviewed all these people i i get the impression that you were actually slightly melancholy in the, uh as much that you know as you mentioned jeff hayward's still alive but very few are still uh, alive. i think harold wilson uh, which is a name that caused us to smile when we saw it but uh uh he's still alive i think you've got to be careful about this because uh they're 90 odd um, um but all the all the all my other favorites are dead i remember pinky hutchison he's uh, a rather posh why is he called pinky uh, because of his complexion, he was quite chubby, a bit like uh, other people I know. Um, well, both of us, to be honest. Um, Pinky Hutchison, what a, uh, he was such a character. He was a sort of minor landed gentry, or not so minor in my view, but the, <laughs> and, uh, 
And uh, he was just, he was wonderful. The interview's fabulous. I really liked a chap called Ray Valance, uh, who's, who's died. Um, he was uh, your archetypal uh, NCO. He was English. Uh, archetypal NCO, um, but got better and better. Um, he used to row with William Steele Brownlee because they were in the same uh, troop for a while. And then they, they gradually got to be friends and, and or at the very least appreciate each other. And he was a great chap. And Ray Valance stayed in the army. He'd become so good. He ended up a, a major and he fought in the Korean War. What a guy. Um, he lived in uh, Norfolk. Um, William Steele Browning, I did an interview, and that's a great regret. He died, but he left a wonderful memoir, which is in the War Museum and in other places. And always known as Steele Brown, he never used William. And uh, he's just the archetypal thrusting young officer. Brilliant at tactics, uh, didn't like the English much. I'm sure he's one of the ones who didn't like the English much. And uh, uh, just such a character. And he dom- And that's why the burning steel was a, a good pun, if you like, uh, because because he he, uh, he just plays such a huge part in the book. His memoir is brilliant. I urge people to read it. It should be republished, really. Well, published. It's not been published and the 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 term burning steel that that gives rise to um how they describe the sherman's going up they they call it brewing up don't they brewing up terrible yeah brewing up ronson's always likes first time it's terrible terrible so would you describe the these veterans given that you've interviewed both uh, great war and second world war veterans uh would you describe them as our greatest generation Interesting. I don't know. Both generations are fabulous, uh, in my view, and both of them did their duty. And the, uh, people say, well, the Second World War generation were fighting the Nazis. They're an evil regime. But I'll be honest with you, the Kaiser's regime wasn't particularly friendly either and uh, and did some terrible things. Um, so, no, I, I can't judge between them. But it's an interesting question that people will always debate who, who think you have to have someone better than the other. I think they just say they're great and leave it at that, if you see what I mean. I, I know. I, I think that both generations did so much for us, uh, that, and that's that's the truth of it. So, what's the next project, Pete? You've you've done at close range the artillery regiment war. You've done burning steel, a tank regiment at war. I think I might know where this is going. Infantry, yeah, and the the title of the book uh, I'm I'm doing it now is Foot Sloggers, an infantry regiment at war, nineteen thirty nine forty five. And that's about the 16th, Gary, Durham Light Infantry. They're, 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 and they, they, we've talked about the, the, the importance of the artillery. We talk about the importance of the tanks, but the infantry are at the base of everything or at the bottom of everything, as they would describe it. But they have, I mean, whatever the others do, you have to occupy the ground. You have to finish the job. And that's that's what I'm working on now. Uh, I know you'll be looking forward to that, Gary. I will be. Um, now, just before we finish, Pete, I know that you like to uh, pay tribute to the Imperial War Museum and the work that they do. Um, is any of the recordings available to the public? They don't seem to be up at the moment. I am I am in touch with my former boss, Tony, uh, to, to see if they can be put up because uh, they're de- uh, the copyright's fine once they're dead. There's always a trouble with oral histories. People are talking about each other and they're not always saying nice things. And uh, the, 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 so the War Museum feels that they shouldn't go on until pretty well everyone's dead and pretty well everyone is dead now. So I'm hoping they'll go up very soon, yeah. And uh, is there any charge involved with that or do you think they'll be made available free? Oh, no, well, you can go and listen to them now, I think, in the museum, but uh, they'll be on the internet, uh, on the War Museum's uh, website, uh, which would be iwm.com or something. I don't know what it is. I can never remember. But they're, they're, they're on there and you just type it in. Uh, 
Um, it's it's an amazing collection. There are there's something thirty five, forty thousand interviews at the War Museum. Uh, no. the, the five and four are just a small part of it. But, uh, the War Museum, the, although I initiated the project, uh, the War Museum paid for everything. Uh, they paid my salary, they paid the expenses, and they deserve enormous credit for their foresight in, in starting the oral history project. Do you think that might have been because, as you mentioned, uh, when you started the Great War project, it was perhaps a little late uh, because there weren't that many of them left, so they've, they've tried to be earlier, as it were, with subsequent conflict. It's partly because we were there and we were the ones who sort of tried to finish off. The, they'd started early with the First World War project, but they'd only done a couple of hundred and you, you need thousands and I think there's 1700 First World War veterans now because myself other members of staff and the freelancers uh, sort of built did, did it uh, but yes uh, we, we, we'd already start even when I'd arrived we were already doing interviews with Second World War veterans but this this idea of doing lots of people from the same unit to get a, a real picture inside a unit which stands for all the other units that are similar I, I think it's important work I'm proud of the book. I'm proud of what it what it what it what it what it represents, and and the, the lads that we interviewed. And so you should be, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we are perhaps best known nowadays for our podcast, uh, and there is a current series uh, which is dealing with the Fife and Four Fire Yeomanry. Uh, so people can listen to the story and they can hear the tales of people like Ray Valance and, and Gordon Fiddler, which I find in, incredibly moving, but also incredibly interesting. Um, and I guess that at some point in the future, we'll be doing some podcasts on foot sloggers because uh, we appear to do the podcasts around about the time the book comes out. It's, it's some sort of weird coincidence. I've no idea how it happens. So I'm just, like Matt McLaughlin, as oh, he I likes do. not to be called. Uh, I'm just going to make reference once more, Pete, to Burning Steel. Uh, it is available from the 12th of May, presumably from all good and some bad outlets. Yeah, uh, <laughs> varying prices, knowing, uh, knowing uh, our world, yeah. Well... Thanks very much for your time, Pete. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure today. I am thoroughly enjoying the colour of the book. Um, I'm having hours of fun. <laughs> Looking at it. Looking it's, got, at it. it's got pictures and ma- as well. Yeah, unfortunately, no crayons. No crayons, right. You can't colour them in. Oh, poor Gary. Thanks for your time, Pete. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?